Well, good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be with you, and I always enjoy being here because it reminds me so much of the church that Cindy and I pastored for about 17 and a half years in Huntington Beach before we planted the church in Orange County and then served 15 years in Rancho Santa Margarita. So, But I must tell you that, that I, I really love living up here in the Central Coast. I'll, I'll give you a hint why. It's a seven-letter word. Traffic. <laughs> Not of God. Let's open up our, our Bibles today to the James chapter 1. We're going to start there as we continue our conversation through 1 Corinthians. I want us to take a look at something I think has stood the test of time as the Word of God always does. I want to talk today about taming temptation. You know, the Bible was never given to you just for information. It was given to you for transformation. In other words, we want to look like that last song. We want more of Jesus, but more of Jesus is so that more of Jesus can be reflected through us to bless the people around us. So transformation is a changing often of attitudes and a mindset, it's certainly a change of behavior. And if there's one thing that all of us share in common here today besides our humanity, it's this. As long as you're breathing, you will be tempted. Now, I realize you're probably thinking right now, Mike, that's not a cheerful word. But it's a true word, amen? If any of you are here today and never struggle with any point of temptation, I want you to come up at the end of the service and we'll have an impromptu counseling session because you're living in the land of denial, which is not a river in Egypt. Amen? All of us are tempted. So when we, when we take a look today through what it means to turn the tables on the tempter, when we take a look at how it is we defeat temptation. There's a tried and a true methodology to what Satan does to try and trip us up. So if you've got your Bibles, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 is where we're going to start. And then we're going to drop back into Corinthians chapter 6. And remember, no one who wants to do wrong should ever say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else either. Tempt, here we go. Temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. These evil desires lead us to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Here we go. The bait is dropped. Whatever the temptation is, the bait is dropped, and it produces something in us of desire. In fact, the word lust, which is used in the, in the New Testament a great deal, it simply means a strong desire. We have, we have kind of sexualized that word to when we talk about somebody struggling with lust, we think it has always something to do with some expression of sexuality, when in fact the word simply means a strong desire. So the bait is dropped, something in me, Wants to, wants to embrace that point of temptation. And when I do, 
as you'll see there in verse 15, it brings forth what? Death. Now, death doesn't have to be physical, amen? It can be something of a greater separation between you and I and God now. God always loves us, always loves us. But our fellowship with God is, is for a moment cut, cut a little bit because of the sin that has been committed and yet to be confessed. So that's why we started here today, because when you go back into 1 Corinthians 6, last week we were in 1 Corinthians, was it 1 through 4? And this week it was 5 through 9. Have you noticed that the church in the first century looks a whole lot like the church in the 21st century? Have you noticed that? They're fleshly, they're, they're immature, they divide into factions. When we get into chapter 5, they fail to hold a person who's living in open sin. They fail to hold that person accountable for their sin. In chapter 6, when we're going to get to it in just a second, in chapter 6, we're told to flee immorality. Much of the book of Corinthians is Paul who loves them saying we ought not to have these things going on in the church. I want to remind you of something that's very sobering. It is to me as a pastor, and I think it should be to you as well. As the Bible says, the judgment begins at the house of God. It doesn't begin with the people on the street. I'll let that sit in. So many times... We are so concerned about pointing out the error and the sin and the misdirection of other people's lives when, in fact, we ought to be looking what? At ourselves. God wants a pure and a holy church. Amen. Amen. And the more we go in purity and the more we grow in holiness, the more effect we're going to have on the culture around us because they're going to see Jesus clearly in our lives. So I want this to be very, very, very practical today. Amen? Amen? I want this to be a really practical message. So if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 tells us in verse 18 to flee immorality. Flee immorality. And this is, when I knew that this would be the assigned text that I would be speaking on today, I immediately thought, when I see the word flee, it's a, it's a constant word throughout the New Testament. For example, probably as soon as tomorrow, I think chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians is tomorrow. In verse 14, it says to flee idolatry. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.22 to flee youthful lusts. The Bible speaks to us about fleeing from the love of money in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. In other words, the consistent message of the, of the Bible is what? To decisively and immediately distance ourselves from anything that would prove to be a point of temptation to us. To decisively and immediately disassociate with that which would be a temptation to us, which the enemy would use to trip us up, to besmirch our character, and leave our witness to the people outside not as clear as it should be. I want to read something to you I found this week in getting ready for this particular message. I, I love this, this particular quote. 
it talks about sin would have fewer takers if consequences accrued immediately. If you knew, all right, now I'm going to move away from the camera for a second. If you knew, and brother, you're just going to be a point of temptation. He, he, he could be anything, all right? If I knew, I'm drawn to whatever that point of temptation is. If I knew that if I were to embrace that temptation, that judgment would immediately fall on me, consequences would immediately come to me, do you think I would be more concerned about staying away from that point of temptation? Amen? Amen. Right? Ecclesiastes 8 says, unless the sentence against an evil word or an evil action is not done immediately, the hearts of men are fully given over to do evil. Now let, let's think about that for a second. In other words, you think you're escaping the consequence when it might bite you later. But the damage to your relationship with God has already been what? It's already been done. Now, is there forgiveness? Amen. Through the confession of our sins, right? We know that we're forgiven. But if we love God, why would we want to put ourselves in any position that would somehow lead others to think less of him because of what they see in us? No temptation, you'll read it tomorrow, verse 13, chapter 10. No temptation has overtaken man such as not common to man. But God is faithful in that he has provided a way of escape. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But the first thing I want to talk to you about today is, and these all start with the letter R. So if you're taking notes, my, my little five letters today are all going to begin with the letter R. And I think if we do these particular actions and make them a part of our life, we're going to deal more successfully with temptation. Here we go. Number one, run away. Isn't that brilliant? I spent all week getting ready to tell you that, right? Run away. Flee idolatry. Flee immorality. Free the love of money. Run away. But I want to suggest to you and I, I don't want to single out men today, but I am. How many of us as men have at some point in our life tried to prove our masculinity as getting so close as we could to the fire thinking that we wouldn't get burnt? In other words, we, we trifle with, with temptation. We, we think, oh, I'm proving that I'm really a man of God. I'm proving that I'm really a strong model. So I get closer and closer to the point of temptation, thinking, well, I can always turn around and do what? Walk away. But in fact, many times it holds us and captures us. Amen. Temptations, unlike opportunities, will always give you a second chance. Temptations, unlike opportunities, will always give you a second chance because the enemy who studies your life knows the weakness. And so why are we trifling with it? Let's just turn around and run away from it. Greatest story in the New Testament about trifling with sin is Peter warming himself in the courtyard 
when Peter was led into the courtyard where Jesus was being interrogated, Peter should have stayed where? Outside. But as he moves into the courtyard, and three times, not once, not twice, but three times, he is asked by some whether he was a part of the inner circle of Jesus' ministry, thus identifying with Jesus, thus making him a potential enemy of the Roman government and the Jewish leadership. If he had not been sitting by that fire, is it possible that the temptation to deny Christ would have been lessened? And what about Joseph? Joseph in the Old Testament. You know, Joseph is a young man. The Bible says in Genesis 39, at the end of verse 6, which really should be the beginning of verse 7, it says that he was a young man and he was handsome in appearance. And you remember the story. He gets sold into slavery and he goes to work for a man named Potiphar, who's a high-ranking official, right? And Mrs. Potiphar, because we don't have her first name, so we just call her Mrs. Potiphar, looks at him and eyes him as a potential sexual partner. And in fact, the language of Genesis 39 is she doesn't just, if you will, entice him once. It is a constant day-to-day sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. And Joseph says, how could I do this great sin against God and against my master who has withheld nothing from me in his household except you, his wife? How could I do this? But she's persistent. How many of you have noticed that the enemy is persistent? Right? She's persistent. And so one day there's no one in the house, right? No one in the house, no one to see. And she says, lie with me. And he turns away from her and he what? He begins to, here we go, run away. And yet his cloak is left in her hands and she uses it to incriminate him. But amen, God brought him out. Run away. Don't don't tell me, I can't tell myself that I can trifle with sin, I can play with it, and not get bit. I remember when I was a little kid. If you, if you see it coming, right? If you see it coming, you should turn around and go the other way. I remember when I was a little kid. And we were at my aunt and uncle's house. And they had a, their backyard opened up to a field. And my cousin, who's about the same age I am, and if you were to see him, you'd think you were looking at me. We look quite a lot alike, handsome man that he is. <laughs> and... I don't know who challenged who, but we decided we were going to have this race, right? And so ready, set, go. And we start running, and both of us at the same time saw something slithering across the path, at which both of us were smart enough to stop and do what? Go the other direction, run away, right? It's, a, it's the first of five, but it's an important one. We need to run away. Temptation is not sin, and playing with sin invites temptation. I'll repeat that one for you. Temptation is not sin, but playing with it, and I love the language, trifling with it invites sin. Run away. By the way... The, the word flee in every reference in the New Testament, 
and I gave you four. Flee immorality, 1 Corinthians 6. Flee idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10. Flee from the youthful lusts, 2 Timothy 2. Flee from the love of money, 1 Timothy 6. Every time the word is used, it's used in a form of the Greek language. That is, a, it's a present imperative. And here's what it means, continuously. Continuously flee. There will be more and more opportunities for you and I in the day in which we live to flee from that which the enemy wants to use to besmirch our character and to bring us into a place where we are not as effective in the living of our life and the sharing of our faith with other people because we've been caught up in sin. Yes, there's always forgiveness. That's part of the grace of God, amen? But why would we put ourselves in that position? Here's the second one. Recall. Recall the passing pleasures of sin. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25, it says, Moses, who grew up in a household where he was seen because he was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. He was seen as a member of the royal family, if you will. It says, by faith, Moses choose to endure ill treatment rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. When I was much younger and contemporary Christian music was just beginning to to really take hold, there was a young man named Steve Taylor who his father was a pastor and he was actually at one point a youth pastor and he became very popular as a recording artist. And one of his albums had a song called Sin for a Season. But it also then emphasized that it's a very fleeting sense of enjoyment. You and I who live in the favor of God live with that joy that, that wells up with this, amen. And we live with that. And it's just the Lord's constantly filling us up with that. But the succumbing to sin tampers down on that. It, it feels good in the moment, amen. Whatever the it is but it will bite you. And the second thing that really helps us deal with temptation is to recall the passing pleasures of sin. Oh, it felt good in the moment. But afterwards, how does it make you feel? So we run away and we recall the passing pleasures of sin. Here's the third. Resist the devil and he will flee. James chapter 4. I think that's a powerful verse. Resist the devil and he will flee. But we need to quote the whole verse because the verse begins with submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Before you stand before Satan, you better bow before God. Now, when it talks about resisting the devil, nowhere are you and I told to do battle against the enemy, but we are to be defensive in the, in the ways in which God has provided for us to take our stand before the enemy, and he can say whatever he wants. He can make accusation about us 
me. The Bible clearly says that the enemy has the opportunity until such point as the middle point of the tribulation. He goes back and forth to heaven and he accuses you before God. So again, for the, for the purposes of just an illustration. So I'm the enemy and I go and I, I talk about you in front of God. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus gets up off his throne and he says, but I bought them with my blood. They are my children. You remember in the book of Jude, in verse 14 in the book of Jude, when it says that there was this battle between the enemy and it was Michael who, who was the archangel who's spoken of there and they were battling over the, over the body of Moses. And you'll remember that the four words that the archangel, the archangel Michael said was, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. He didn't argue with Satan. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, how do you resist? That is the key, amen? How do we resist the devil? First, it's by submitting to God. But let me give you some other thoughts. How did Jesus resist the devil? The word of God. Luke 4, Matthew 3. How does Jesus resist the devil? Thus it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. And you remember I told you that the enemy is very persistent. How many temptations? Three. Look at it now. Body, soul, spirit. Sins of the flesh. First John chapter 2 talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Amen? All temptation falls basically under those umbrellas. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Jesus experienced them all. And how does he resist the devil? The Lord rebuke you? Yes. But also by using what? The word of God. In my 260 group that I have the privilege of helping to facilitate, we talk a lot about how the Word of God is not only to build us up, but to provide us an opportunity when we're confronted, not just by sin, but we're confronted with people who have a different worldview than we do, or even theologically different frameworks than we do. Now, I'm not talking about theology frameworks that are necessarily just a matter of interpretation. I'm talking about those that have devalued the, the person of Jesus or deified the human, right? Those are cultic, aberrant, heretical groups. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to lose you now, right? So part of what we do with the Word of God is know how to make a defense of our faith so that when people stand in us, and, and, and say to us, well, you could become a God. No, I can become godly because the spirit of God and the word of God is working in my life. But I will not inherit another solar system and I will never be equal with God. The word of God. Here's the second. How do we, how do we resist the devil? How do, we, how do we do battle against the enemy? Here's the second one. 
by putting on the whole armor of God. See, if I just put on the helmet of salvation, which reminds me that I'm a child of God, but I don't put on the breastplate of righteousness, I don't have the belt of truth, I don't hold up the shield of faith, guess what? I am fair game. So when it says put on the whole armor of God, it's God's intention that we wear what? All the armor. That shield of faith is to knock down the flaming missiles that the enemy might send at us. That breastplate of righteousness reminds me that I'm not righteous in and of myself. It's God's righteousness in the person of his son that makes me righteous. The shoes of, of peace, right? If you, if you study anything about Roman soldiers in the first century, they had nails in the bottom of their feet because so much of the terrain that they fought with would have been slippery. So there was some point of a sharp object, the bottom of their sandals or the bottom of their shoes, whatever they worked, so they could what? They could stand firm and fight. How do we submit to God? The word of God, amen? Putting on the whole armor of God. But those are decisive actions. When I get up in the morning, I have to make a decisive action to pick this up and read it. Amen? When I get up in the morning, I have to, as I pray in the morning, I have to decide whether or not I'm going to ask God to clothe me with the entirety of his armor. And here's something else about resistance. You've got to stand firm in your faith, 1 Peter 5, 9, because the enemy is declared to be a roaring lion who's walking around, prowling around, seeing whom he can what? Devour. Firm in my faith is to understand who I am as a child of God. I'm going, to, I'm going to say something now, and if you want to come up and talk to me about it, I'd be glad to entertain this with a conversation. I believe, if not the number one thing that the enemy does in our life, it's got to be in the top two or three, is the enemy tries to convince you that you're not saved or you're not a child of God. The battle, dear ones, is always to this battle is always for the mind. If I can get you to think the way I want you to think, I got you. Amen? You're not really a Christian. You just, that was just an emotional experience you went through. You, everybody else was doing it, so that, you, know, you came down forward, and, you know, but you, you're really not saved. Hmm. What's, what do we see in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan comes to Adam and Eve? Surely God did not say, you cannot eat from any tree. Who's the father of liars? Satan. What's the first thing we see Satan doing when he confronts Adam and Eve? What? Surely God didn't say that. Here's my response to that. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. So we resist by the word of God. We resist resist by putting on the whole armor of God. We resist the enemy because of standing firm in what God has said about us and the power of the spirit that lives in us. Amen? But again, before you stand against Satan, you better bow before God. Fourth one, reach out and ask for help. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 11 and 14. So twice in four verses, the Apostle Paul writing to that church says, when you encounter difficulties in life, don't, don't think you have to go through it, what? Alone. The church is a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. All right? One of the things we all have in common here today is we're human, thus we mess up from time to time. Can I get a witness? All right? So instead of hiding that, we embrace that as a means by which to reach out and ask other people to help us in time of trial, and we're available to other people in a time of trial. Now, here's a lie from the enemy. A lie from the enemy would be you can't possibly identify with every sin that goes on. And if somebody comes up to you and wants you to pray for them or wants you to hold them to a point of accountability, and you've never experienced that particular sin in your life, you've never had to struggle with that issue in your life, you're not prepared, you're not going to be adequate to stand with that person. You with me? You tracking with me so far? Here's the problem with that. The problem with that is this. It's not Mike Full. It's the Holy Spirit through Mike Full. All right? It's not, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit operating through me because he is an empathetic God and he wants me to be able to bring comfort and, and help to those who are strong. doesn't mean I have had to experience what they're experiencing themselves. Because everybody here has felt at some point the embrace of God upon your life. You may not have known it, but you have. You will be surprised when you get to heaven and find out how many times God sent ministering spirits. We call them what? Angels, not the baseball team. <laughs> they need a lot more help. You will be surprised how many times God in his mercy protected you. Which is why we should show mercy to other people, amen? amen. Reach out and ask for help. I think one of the biggest things that we have going for us is this whole point of accountability. Accountability is me supplying the why of my life to someone else or to others. It can be plural. When I was working on my doctorate, I had to take a class. And in that class, it was interesting because I was, I was under the leadership of a, of a gentleman who has recently gone home to be with the Lord. But we were talking about addiction and a particular form of addiction. He and his wife ran, and she continues to do so, a, a a center where people could go and get some help for this particular issue that they were struggling with. And when you graduated from that program, they sent you out with not one accountability partner, not two, not three, but a list of 10 people that you could call when life got tough and you were tempted to go back into that area of sin, or for that matter, any area of sin. I remember when Cindy and I were a lot younger and we were actually associate pastors at a church in Huntington Beach before we took the church that we were lead pastors at. And 
we had a guest speaker one night, and he, he posed this question to the congregation. Now, mind you, there were a few hundred people in this. It was a Sunday night service, but there were still a few hundred people. And he said, how many of you have more than three people in your life that if your life falls apart at 3 o'clock in the morning, you could call somebody and they wouldn't be upset with you that they, you got a message from you? And I was shocked by how few hands went up. That is not the way God intended the church to be. Amen? Accountability is providing the why of my life. I remember once a mentor of mine who still pastors today in his 80s. He has a church in Texas. And I had the privilege of really learning how to teach the word and bring application from the word from him in part. And uh, he tells a story on himself that one day he got, a, he got a note from somebody in his church said, we saw you driving your car the other day and you ran a red light. And if you don't meet us and buy us breakfast, we're going to out you to the congregation. <laughs> Oh, it gets better. It gets better. So he goes to the place they're going to meet for breakfast. And he has a placard around it. You know those guys that stand, and gals too, I assume, those guys that stand on the corner and they've got those like sandwich boards that they're trying to promote, come here, buy that, whatever. So he walks into this restaurant (laughs) and on the front of the board it says, send all the Pharisees to me. And so he sits down, and the, and the waitress, she has no clue, right? What, what are you wearing, right? But one by one, every member of his accountability group showed up. And they sat down, and they had a great laugh over it because they weren't going to tell the whole congregation. That was a church of several thousand people where he was. They weren't going to stand up. The, they weren't going to stand up before the congregation and say, Pastor went through a red light the other day, and we know it was Pastor because he was driving this type of car, and we all know what kind of car our pastor drives. So they had fun with it, but here's the deal. The principle is important, amen? Accountability. Who do you supply the why of your life to? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why am I thinking that? Pretty important stuff. So we've reached letter number five. Let's remember the four that we've talked about. Run away. Just if you see temptation coming, if you if there's it's caution dead ahead, amen. There's a reason those lights are yellow. Are you with me? <laughs> Run away. The second one. Recall the passing pleasures of sin. It may be pleasurable for the moment, but afterwards it, it yields a very bitter fruit. Third, resist the devil by submitting to God. And the enemy must flee. Fourth, reach out and ask for help. But there's a fifth and a very important one. And I've asked a friend of mine to come and share. Yes. You do. Yes. It's the word replace. It is the word replace, Pastor. All right. What do I win? Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, interesting thing because I was thinking about that word this week. And thought through some things. And, you know, I remember something that we read before. It was in the book of Ephesians. And let me just remind it if my phone will open up. And uh, 
it will open up, but it doesn't open up to the app I want, and uh, it will even get there. There we go. And it's in Ephesians chapter 4, and here's what it says. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, so you throw off the one thing, but here's what you do do. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Amen. I don't know if you have a struggle with that, putting something off. And, you know, it's an interesting thing, but sometimes helping to illustrate it may help us a little bit. But it's literally coming to that point where you just say, that's it. I'm throwing that off. I'm, I'm done with that, whatever that might be in your life. Things like, for example, our thoughts. Sometimes we just need to take and just, you know, throw it off. Take, be intentional in what we're trying to do rather than just think, oh, I can gut it out. I can do it. I can overcome this when I want to. And yeah, right. Well, then why haven't you? Because I don't want to. You know, but we come and we begin to do it. So what are you going to do? You cast off the bad thoughts and you begin to become a word-based person. I've had uh, about four conversations this week with different people. And one of the things I've kept coming back said, that's why you need to be in the Word of God. You'll know what, how to deal with your thoughts. When you begin to get into the Word of God, it will explain it. So you throw away the bad thoughts. What about our, our stealing? Well, most of us say, well, I don't steal, but we do covet. I wish I had what somebody else had. I'd like that. Man, that's something. I, and I'm meaning when covet is used, it's a very strong, strong urging inside that borders on lust in its, in its truest definition and that you want to go to. So what am I going to do? i got to throw that off as well and become a giver. So I begin to give. So you begin to do the opposite of the very thing Amen. that begins to hamper your life as you move on. You throw it off. What about your fear? I begin to cast off the fear and begin to replace it with trust. I'm going to trust in the Lord. God is able. I don't have to wonder about what's the next step, what's going to happen else. What about your pride? Oh, we don't have a problem with the pride. Yes, you do. You just proved it. And you come along and you begin to realize that humility becomes the key point that you begin to work with. The very things, and Pastor Mike mentioned earlier, about our own lust whether it's sexual in content, whether it's lusting after other things or possessions, reputation, prestige, position, and all, we need to put on a sense of caring that comes from the heart of God toward other people. So we throw it off. We get rid of it. Or what about our own hate? I just hate these people. Why do they act that way? They, whatever level you're talking about in your life. It's an interesting thing when I come to God with that, and I said, God, I just really hate that. I said, you ever noticed that little verse in Ephesians that talks about that it's by grace that you're saved? Amen. And so it begins to come back, and the Lord is saying, Gary, you need to show some grace to some people. You don't know the full story. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I got it. I understand it all. No, we don't. I need you to throw away that Amen. which you would just allow to do. That's what the verse is saying. Throw it off 
the old nature, the old ways. Amen. We could go with an endless list with any of us. You know, let's, let's before Pastor Gary prays, and we're going to give you an opportunity to come and receive prayer as well. Let's remember a few things about today beyond the R's, okay? Number one, everybody is tempted. The only time you're not going to be tempted, dear ones, is when you're in heaven. All right? So let's just deal with the reality of that. If you think that you've arrived, you haven't. You know, perfect got done once, and we held him on a tree. So we're going to struggle with that. Second is keep in mind that no temptation that you're going through is some new temptation. There is nothing new under the sun. Temptation is intensifying, perhaps, because of technology and because of the media influence. And the first century church didn't have that. I get it. But the reality is we're all being tempted. It's increasing, right? We, we need to make sure that we understand the way in which we deal with temptation is still from the pages of God's word. All right? And here's a good word for you. Temptation... You can't, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, amen? But you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Okay? That is, if you have hair. Maybe you should put your hat back on now. Oh, okay, <laughs> Shining too much, huh? Anyway. All right, I hope, that, I hope this was practical, and I want to thank Gary for kind of coming up. That replacing the old man, though, is that place, if, if you're here today and you've never come to a place where you've embraced Jesus as Savior, behold, this is the acceptable time. This is the day of salvation, right? You will not be successful in your battle against temptation unless you're fighting with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God. And maybe, maybe you're struggling with a particular temptation and you just want us to pray with you and agree with you that God will strengthen you. Amen. Maybe you're dealing with a lack of assurance that you really are forgiven. Whatever. As Pastor Gary prays, and as the prayer team comes up today, we're here to pray with you. We're here to believe God with you and for you. And as always, it's an incredible pleasure to be with you. So would you bow with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, whether we're here present with one another, we're listening online, wherever we may be at the moment, you're there. We don't have to conjure you up. We don't have to try to find you. You're here. You're right here beside us right now, waiting for us to extend out to you the opportunity to intersect our moment. And so, Lord, if we open up our hearts right now, each of us, and say, Lord, where is it in me that you're speaking these thoughts into my life? What aspect? What area? What do I need to do with it, God? And I just want to pause the prayer, but I'd like you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. And that is just ask this question of us this morning. You might be here, and you've heard this whole message, and you thought, oh, okay, cool. It's it's kind of get it. But I'm not sure how to do all that stuff. Perhaps you may not have had the step or taken the step to really say, God, I can't do this life alone. I need help. I need you to be a part of it, God, in my life. And we call that coming to Christ or becoming saved or turning to God different ways it might be said. Some would say born again. 
but you turning out to God to say, Lord, I need you in my life, and I'm not sure you're there. And I just want to ask this of us all right now as we kind of come to closing of this service and this time together. But I want to ask you this. If you're here this morning and you say, you know, pastors, we, I, I'm not sure where I'm at with God. I'm not sure he's really there in my heart. I'm not sure I'm walking with God, and I'm not sure what all that means or how to get there. If that might be you right now, would you mind just slipping up your hand? Because I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to show you up or anything. I just want to pray with you for God just to, yes, yes. Okay. I just want to, want you to turn to God and his, see, receive him as your Savior, Lord. Yes, ma'am. See you in the back. Thank you. Thank you. All right. The second thing I just want to mention to us, as Pastor Mike mentioned too, that these people are not standing up here to look nice, though they do. They're up here to say, I know what it's like to walk through things in my life, too, and I, there's times where I just need a prayer. I need somebody to agree with me. I want to overcome this. I want to be work past this in my life. They're here to pray with you. Take advantage of that opportunity. So, Lord, as we finish in this prayer aspect, we ask right now that, Lord, those things that we're today just literally throwing away, throwing off, casting off, saying, I don't need that anymore in my life. Lord, we will establish something that is lasting within our lives, that we begin to realize that, Lord, by your power, by your enablement, by your ability, by your strength, are we able to continue to leave those things off and not let them return, as it were, back over us and upon us, but instead rise up and go forward and say, I'm victorious in who Jesus Christ is because he's living in my life. I am that conqueror over those things because of who Jesus is. Lord, we pray that over those that are seated here. We pray that over those that are listening by way of the Internet. And we pray that, God, your hand of grace will accompany them in every way and your blessing rest on each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you stand with us? And again, if you're here, you raise your hand and just say, Pastor, I want to ensure the fact where I'm standing with God. Or maybe you didn't at that moment. These people are ready just to pray with you. They love you. Say, they don't, may not know me. They love you. I promise you. And, uh, and they will stand with you in prayer and believe for God to do some good things in your lives. So let's make a decision. We're making a stamp this week and saying, if I've got to run away from stuff, if I've got to resist the devil, if I've got to reach out to people, if I've got to replace things, God, whatever it takes, I'm going forward with you. Amen? Amen. So let it be in your life. God bless you.